This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in. Take command. I'm Craig. That's Logan. You heard what we did. You heard why we're here. I used to cover the team. He used to play for the team 10 years in the NFL at tight end for Mr. Logan Paulson. Uh, So here's what we got on the show today. Logan, spring's over. The, the spring mandatory voluntaries, all of the mini camps, the OTAs, they're done. Next stop, training camp. It's the scariest time of year for coaches. You just hope that nothing happens between now and July 26th <laughs> when training camp opens for the commanders. But we will have a full review on today's show. Offensive and defensive MVPs, how did each side of the ball finish up? And then there's some burning questions starting to emerge. And it's kind of interesting, Logan, because we started this podcast basically at the start of the spring program, at least the on-field portion, phase two of OTAs. And we went in with these really distinct questions about middle linebacker and and some of these other positions. And we come out, I think, with some very different questions. Some of those questions answered, but some just feel more burning than when they went in. So we'll get into kind of what our questions are as we move through the summer. And and obviously, we will continue to do the show and, and get some answers as we get into August and training camp. So... Uh, let's let's just go ahead and dive right in, man. Let's let's start yeah. with the offensive side of the ball. Offense looked really good these first couple of weeks, and the last couple of days, uh, I know from talking to you a little bit and, and seeing some of the tweets and everything out there, that the defense has picked it up. <clears throat> How much of that is the defense picking up versus some things starting to emerge on the offensive side of the ball? Look, no one's going to be great every day, but for right. instance, Carson Wentz, like didn't have his best week during this mandatory session. So let's start there with Wentz. What changed for him this week versus the past couple of weeks where he was so impressive? Well, I think a lot of credit has to go to the defense, to be quite honest. I think when you watch them, I think they just were playing with a better energy, you know. And then, you know, Deron Payne's back and then seeing him out on the field and the energy that he brought, especially in team run periods and creating pressure, I think it, it, it kind of flummoxed Carson a little bit. I think it was a little bit that the temperature was turned up. They were blitzing a lot. They I know, like... um the offense was working a lot in empty or kind of lighter sets from a pass protection standpoint, like and move the ball. And the defense was heating them up a little bit and they were getting free runners. And Carson, you could tell was a little bit off, off about that. You know what I mean? So like there were times even in red zone period, which they're not pressuring as much or whatever, where he feels a pressure that isn't there. It's picked up and he steps out of the pocket and it's going to be a sack because he's stepping into pressure, which is something that you saw kind of stress Carson last year in Indianapolis do quite a bit. So again, like I think the the credit needs to go to the defense. Obviously, Montez Sweat had an outstanding day. Payne, Allen looked apart. You know, they just were, were great. And then Jack Del Rio deserves a lot of credit for kind of the pressures he was able to cultivate and how he was able to stress some of the, the protection philosophy of the empty personnel grouping, right? So again, <clears throat> interesting, you know, we talked about how well the offense looked, and I think that's directly correlated to Carson Wentz. Like over the first 
nine practices, I can count on one hand how many bad throws he had. And over the last two days, he's probably got seven. You know what I mean? So he went from five over nine practices to seven, eight, maybe ten in a, in a two-day practice period, right? So again, the defense has ticked it up a little bit. You know, William Jackson III made some nice coverage plays. Seems You know, we talked about kind of his um, some of his alignment issues earlier on in the show. He seemed to got that correct a little bit, looked a little bit more confident, looked a little bit more comfortable. And again, the pressure marrying with the coverage, you see why that relationship is so important. Because all of a sudden, you know, Jahan can't run that extra little stutter because Carson Wentz is getting pressure, has to move. The, the coverage can accommodate this now. The timing was much better. So yeah, like props to the defense, man. I think they did an outstanding job. And again, I also think another piece that needs to be noted in terms of this defensive evolution, we talked about the D-line, we talked about William Jackson, but I think Benjamin St. Juice as the nickel allows for much better safety play because you get your one of your best players under defense, Cam Curl, and Bobby McCain, who's an excellent role player at the free, kind of in their natural positions. And Benjamin St. Juice in the slot has been really, really done a nice job. So again, like that group all of a sudden starts to galvanize and they start to play with a little more confidence. They came out with great energy and the offense just didn't seem like they were matching the intensity. And, and you know, from covering the team, there are days like that where the defense comes out for sure, ready to go and the offense isn't quite there. Yeah. And so here's another question. Things I know, things I learned on my time is like some of this stuff can be designed too, right? Like it's Ron Rivera's job to decide who wins the day on on some level. And he can on some level, again, determine who it is before they ever go out there based off formation, based off personnel, because you want to work on stuff. That's the whole point. You know, if the offense wins a day or the defense loses a day, you're still zero and zero to start the season. Like it's June. And so I am curious as you look at the things that Carson struggled with how much of that are things that maybe are new to him in the offense is it stuff that he struggled with in the past and maybe they front loaded some of the stuff where he's really successful to get his Mm. confidence up and get him going earlier in camp like how much of what and and I don't think you have the practice plan like you have the ability to watch everything back afterwards and you can ask questions and all that kind of stuff but like it's not like you go in knowing the script you're not in the meeting so even if you had the script you wouldn't exactly know what it meant but like how much, based off what you're able to tell and some of the things that you know from watching Carson in the past and watching this defense and some of the other guys in the past, how much of this is by design and how much of this is just, no, like the defense came out and kicked ass and like John Allen gets to go back and be really excited about how his unit performed on that given day. Yeah, so I, I agree. You know, obviously there are certain times where you work in certain situations, like you work in empty pressures, like that tends to favor the defense, right? And the offense needs to account for that. And I will say, like, when I watched practice, I just felt like I just felt like the defense had had a little bit of upper hand. I felt like Jack was calling great stuff. I felt like the guys were executing great stuff. And there was a maturation. Like, I think about a play that Jamin had yesterday where there's, like, uh, it's, a, it's a tight formation. There's a running back and a receiver to the defensive left. And earlier in camp, he got picked on a – he got screened by the receiver and the back runs to the flat, and it's a first down. Today, you know, that's where they're trying to go with the football, and Jamin plays that perfectly, right? So obviously the defense is maturing. I think Jack just called an excellent practice, especially in the move the ball periods in terms of creating pressure and, and you know, putting the screws on the offense a little bit because, like, there were times where, you know, it's obviously a pressure situation. You just got to kind of do your count. They've got three receivers to the right, two receivers to the left. There's four guys over here. They're in man-to-man coverage. There's two guys over here. There's the, the post safeties in the middle. So obviously the extra guys there – and for whatever reason, the slide's going the wrong way. You know, it's going to the left, where the, obviously the extra rusher's not coming from. So I think just that kind of stuff. And again, 
it's good that these problems are happening now because it gives them time to adjust and say, you know, wait, maybe our empty protection plan can change a little bit. Maybe we can give Mars, uh, you know, <clears throat> Carson, excuse me, a little bit more control in these situations and get the mic point over here. And, you know, maybe we can check the play to a, to a man beater that gets out of his hand a little bit quicker if we see the pressure, right? Because there was a lot of times where he's got the ball and he's ready to throw, but the concept doesn't have like a hot throw or doesn't have like a quick option, you know? And there's sometimes where the concept allows for that. And usually you don't have to change the production, but this concept didn't. And then also he didn't change the protection. So again, those are things that you want to see get worked out now. And, you know, again, another thing that's important to note is like Charles Leno's out, Cornelius Lucas is out. I think they were both sick, right? And so obviously in terms of protection, those guys are a big part of that. And, um, you know, like, so again, most of the issues were on the other side, not because of um, because people were missing blocks. They, the, in fact, the two guys on that side did a great job. Turner and Cosby did a great job, but they just did a good job with overloads, the defense. And again, I, that's what you want from your coordinators. You want them to stress each other out so that the stressful time is now. And then when they get to season, they've had, they've been able to brainstorm and solve some of these problems like you alluded to. Yeah. And so the other question I have, and I, this is where like you bouncing around a little bit in your career is really helpful yeah. is like Carson's a veteran player, right? Mm-hmm. Carson has had multiple coaches. I mean, so, I mean, even when he bounced, he had some of the same coaching, but I'm sure his position coaches were different. He's been exposed to some different coaching over the years in Philadelphia and then in Indianapolis, but he's a veteran and it is, I don't want to say like he can't grow and he can't get better, mm. but like he's got things that he's probably set on and there's not going to be major improvement even if there's marginal improvement like that's good that's what you want but there's not going to be some aha moment where Carson Wentz becomes a different player than he has been because he's 30 or almost 30 years old and that's just that's just life and so when you say he's struggling with some of the things that have stressed him in the past I'm like okay well that's (laughs) you know that that's hopefully something that can at least get cleaned up a little bit so he struggles less you know you want your coach to be able to give answers to your quarterback and some of that is always going to be scheme adjacent all these kinds of different things but with that like point being made and and that big giant preamble the question is like how much can they Mm. tweak what Carson is to maybe help him out where there are just weaknesses in his game just like basically any other player that's not a super, you know, first ballot Hall of Fame type guy. You know, Rodgers doesn't have a lot of holes. Brady doesn't have a lot of holes. Right. Um, but like, if you're Carson Wentz, you can still be really effective and have holes in your game. And part of a coach's job is to manage those weak points. What can they do to help him out to get better and better production slash the best version of him as consistently as possible? Greg, I absolutely freaking love that question. And so what I'm going to say is that there's two-part story here. So I was talking to Wes Phillips, who's now the OC for the Minnesota Vikings. And he came here in 2012, 13. He came was his first year here, or 14. And he came with, like, Jason Hatcher and everybody came. He was two years after them. And I remember him saying, like, hearing the defensive coaches when Jason Hatcher got here say, oh, wow, if we only get him to play a little bit lower, man, he's going to be a Pro Bowl or Hall of Fame type guy. And then when Wes came and they were still saying that same thing, they were using that same language around Hatcher, Wes was like, you know, they said that for seven consecutive years when he was in Dallas. Like, sometimes you are who you are and you just got to mm-hmm. kind of live with it. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that. Like, 
you know, old dogs have a hard time learning new tricks and it's not necessarily like your neuroplasticity is different. Your kinesthetic awareness is different. It's harder to learn new stuff. And sometimes you're just built in a certain way. So with regards to Carson, I think there is some of that going on, right? He has had these issues. It's a little bit of hubris for the coach to think you can correct those issues. But I think some of the things that you can do as a coach is put him in good situations to avoid the things that stress him out. And so what I mean by that, right, is we talked about how handling pressure kind of leads to him trying to extend these plays, playing a little bit of hero ball, and that stuff is all negative. Like, at least in recent history for him has been bad. It's not been like where he's excelled, right? So if I'm if I'm Scott Turner, my one objective is to make sure that this man is protected kind of at all costs, right? I want the protection plan to be dialed in 1,000% so that we do not have free runners to the quarterback. We have good matchups in terms of the offensive line. If i got to leave guys in the chip, if I've got to leave backs in to protect, tight ends, max protections, all these different things, I am going to really delve into that this offseason to make sure he feels comfortable because you look at early on in training camp one of the things they did is there was a lot of play action pass kind of a lot of like um bigger personnel groupings and a little bit of that might be because both the young tight ends have hamstring injuries and their role has been limited Cole Turner's starting to practice more now but you know Hodges who was kind of the third guy isn't been practicing at all so again um you know that might be a cause for some of this offensive philosophy shift but when they were in those personnel groupings when they kind of had those pieces around the quarterback, it does make rushing and blitzing a little bit more challenging, right? If you're always in 11, I know you're always in 11. I can develop a really sick blitz package, a really sick rush plan for the offense, for the defensive line. So if I'm Scott, I'm going to look at personnels. I'm going to look at protection philosophy. I'm going to look at giving Carson Wentz more responsibility. I'm going to look at giving him formational tells. Like that's something when you watch the LA Rams, they do an outstanding job of. They get in these kind of, I don't say unusual formations, but stuff that are very clear defensive um, they, they communicate what the defense is doing at a high level, right? So they'll line up three wide receivers in a very wide split. They'll line up a tight end in a wide split. So the defense can't disguise its coverage. It's got to show you what it's doing. I'm doing that a ton. I'm using motions as pre-snap indicators for man and zone coverages so that he can get really comfortable and identify what's going on and execute what I want him to, right? And so again, that to me, like, you know what, he, you know what he struggles with. You know, he has a hard time when there's pressure. You know, he has a hard time kind of uh, digesting that. Let's do everything we possibly can to insulate him and give him all the tools he needs to be successful. There's still going to be issues with that, no doubt. You know what I mean? Because like we said, he is who he is. But let's see if we can get him out of that situation as much as possible and get him super comfortable because we saw what he's capable of. You know, these first three weeks of OTAs, I mean, that's about as good of an OTA period as I've seen from any quarterback I've ever played with. You know, I played with Matt Ryan and stuff like that, right? So obviously that's a big endorsement. But again, these last two days are the are the warts of Carson Wentz. And if I'm Scott, I'm looking at these very critically and I'm saying, how do we avoid this moving forward? I'm so glad you got that year in Atlanta or those couple of years in Atlanta because yeah. if you're like, hey, w- what franchise did you play for as, a, as an offensive player? The Washington and Chicago. Yeah. Not really a great quality. history of quarterback play. Yeah, not great. Not great. San Francisco All due respect too. to all the guys that you played with, of course. Yeah, but I mean, I think the other thing is that it shows you different leadership styles. It shows you different skill sets. Like, you know, working with Jay Cutler was really interesting, you know, like his, how he approached communicating with guys, Matt. And then honestly, the best guy that I played with, you know, he's got a lot of stuff going on right now is Deshaun Watson and just how he approached it, you know, and how different he was. Uh, Like, I don't know anything about that other stuff, but on the field, he was a very specific type of way. And, um, and I think that that's always, it's just good to see how people, different people get it done. And, um, 
and what they do to help those guys, you know, because Matt, not the strongest arm in the world, but they were able to manufacture big plays for him, you know, giving them nice clean pockets and stuff. So if I'm Scott, I'm really, I'm, I'm taking a lot of onus and responsibility of that saying, how do I put this man in the best situation to be successful? And those are some things I'm looking at. And I think it's, it's definitely doable. It's going to take a little bit of work, but it's definitely doable. Yeah, I mean, that's ultimately the job of an offensive coordinator and anybody who's involved in scheming up offense is how much can you make it where the quarterback doesn't have a lot to do after the snap other than execute from a physical standpoint, yeah. right? Can Or can you narrow down the mental decision-making to like, I'm going to watch the strong safety. If he goes left, I know that I have this route. Or, you know, if, right. he, if he goes cover one, I have this route. If he goes cover two, I have this route. That kind of decision-making where it becomes very linear as opposed to, oh my God, I have the entire swath of things. And so getting that pre-snap information when the pressure is not on, when the defense is on the other side of the line of scrimmage, there's no one coming after you. No one else is having to execute. All you have to do is process. And so can you give the, you know, again, formations, motions, personnel, do all of these things to make sure that your quarterback and by the way, other positions, because like you had reads as a tight end, your linemen have have reads and and can have pick up information from from defensive splits, all that kind of stuff. Um, obviously your receivers, you know, are they anticipating man versus zone? And if they know that beforehand, they can really get into their routes and run them, you know, in, in the best way possible versus trying to read. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, am I, you know, am I keeping going? Cause it's zone. Am I sitting down? Cause it's or the other way around. Can I sit yeah. down in a zone, keep going versus man, all those kinds of things. So the, the less processing you have to do, the better athlete you can be. Um, cause you can just athlete, you don't have to think. Yeah. And so I, I love that explanation and especially specific to Carson, um, considering also, his past history and, and what he's, or what he's displayed over the course of these, what, 11, 12 practices this spring. Yeah. And also you made me think of something really interesting. So, um, Curtis Samuels has not been practicing. He's been at practice, but he's been kind of yeah. being withheld. And I think you see the impact of him, you know, in the offense. Right. And I'm, I'm the biggest Cam Sims fan you're ever going to find. But he does not have a good, Carson does not have a good relationship throwing him the football right now. Like Cam will win, but the timing's a little bit off, right? And you see how that affects his confidence. You see that, how it affects his, his, his ability to read stuff. Cause he's like, I don't know if I can really let this ball go right now. Because Cam Sims, uh, three days ago fell down on a comeback and it led to an interception. And there's just a little bit of, um, lack of trust there now. And so obviously he had a very high level of trust with, Curtis Samuels, he has a very high level of trust with Jahan. And so when you take one of those pieces off and then all of a sudden everyone gets bumped up, you know, Diami's Diami's playing a little bit more, Cam's playing more. But again, those relationships with Diami and Cam aren't as good as they are with Jahan and Curtis. And so if I'm if I'm Terry, I'm having my agent watch this practice being like, hey, man, like look at what this offense can be when there's all these different playmakers and imagine what it'll, what, what Carson will be when I'm here, because you do see a little bit of a depreciation in his effectiveness as some of the playmakers are, are taken off the field. And I think that is, you know, it's relevant. It's relevant to this conversation, 100%. No doubt about it. Uh, we'll circle back to Curtis in the questions moving forward section of the podcast a little bit later. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. 
Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Take Command podcast here from Odyssey Sports. If you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe. We've had so many great episodes recently. Lorenzo Alexander, John Kahn. If you never listened to those, you're just finding us now. Go back, check them out. They are fantastic. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, anywhere that you get your podcasts. Obviously, anywhere you're listening right now, you can find us. Uh, so let's get on the defensive side. We kind of touched on some of the things on a big picture scope a little bit earlier mm. because you know, we're asking offense, defense, how, how, why is the, the tenor of practice? this shifted but when you look at this defensive side of the ball we came in with this massive question at linebacker and I think we emerge with a giant question on the back end and we've talked about this some but let, let's go a little deeper on St. Juiced at nickel because now we've mm. got a larger sample size yeah do you think that that is even before training camp, assuming that, you know, obviously injuries could change everything. But is that settled that their primary look this year is going to be a nickel look with Benjamin St. Juice in that nickel spot with everyone else we expected, you know, Fuller outside, Jackson outside, the two safeties, McCain and, and Curl, Davis, Holcomb in the middle, and then whatever combination up front, um, that that is going to be the personnel grouping there in most often and that they are comfortable with that based off what St. Juice has so, shown so far. I think when they want to be in nickel, I think that's what they're going to do. I think I'd like to see – this is where like a joint practice becomes really advantageous is because you get to see him match up against different skill sets. You know, Jahan is very, very savvy when he's in the slot, and St. Juice is matched up really nicely with him. But I want to see how he handles like a quicker guy or a bigger guy. Like I'd like to see him match up with like a guy like Cole Turner or um, AGG just to see what that looks like, you know. Again, just to make sure that he can kind of handle all these different matchups. You know, on this offense, like – they are very specific in terms of the personnel and the body type that's been there. You know, it's Curtis Samuels, it's Jahan, and um, Benjamin St. Juice has done an excellent job. And I think if I'm, I feel very, very good about where the defense is at. Because again, like, I think that's one of the reasons there's been an, evol- a, a, an evolution for them, a development for them. Because like when they made that switch and when that started becoming a consistent thing, the whole defense started playing better. You know, like you could see the offense kind of working through some labors because they had better personnel on the field. And so, Again, I think that's the right uh, solution. Um, and again, I don't think the Buffalo nickel is going to play as big a role for them this year. You know, like playing nickel on first and second down. And if they do do that, I think it's going to be a guy like Forrest, a guy like Cam, and then doing something different with the safeties on the back end. And, you know, you know, I think I was, um, you got me thinking now, I was very hard on Forrest early in camp because he had a couple coverage busts and had some struggles from like a coverage standpoint. Those coverages are still around, but I do think that's a guy who, when you put the pads on, is going to be playing a lot better. You can see his urgency. You can see his desire to be physical. And that's a guy who's born to wear shoulder pads. So he's a guy I would expect <laughs> in training camp to be playing a lot better. You know, not, not, not that he's playing bad now, but he's going to flash a little bit more with the shoulder pads on. So again, I think if I'm the coaches looking at that, I say that's a guy who again is going to be a nice rotational piece there. Um, you know, and so again, that's good that that depth's developing. But to me, to, to answer your question, the Benjamin St. Juice thing, I think has been the cat, one of the catalysts for improving the whole defense. 
One thing that I think is interesting is the lack of base, like the fact that last year we didn't see it a lot. And, you know, it seems through the spring that just base defense outside of very certain situations, you get in like goal line and stuff like that. It's just not a thing that they want to do a whole lot of, um, which on some level eliminates some of this linebacker, you know, issue that we went into the spring thinking was going to be a major thing. And again, because they said it was a major thing coming out of last season, it's not like we put that on them. It's not like we made that up. They're like, yeah, we need to fix linebacker. And then they didn't do anything, but it seems like part of their fix is to just not play three linebacker, uh, sets a whole ton and even when they have faced some bigger personnel um to go five defensive linemen one linebacker and still keep the same five defensive backs on the field um, whether that be a nickel or a buffalo nickel depending on what the formation is that they're saying how feasible is that to actually match up with a lot of nfl offenses that might have like first of all what kind of offense would demand them playing more base and two is the five the Cinco package, the five defensive lineman solution, a viable one against set offenses? Yeah, I mean, I think it is. I think um, I think that's who they want to be. So again, like against Tennessee, you want to be in base. You know, they're they got a fullback, they got two tight ends, they got two tight ends and a fullback. Like they're gonna throw some big personnel, and that's one of the reasons why they're successful is because they create unique matchups. <clears throat> you know, because most teams are in three wide receivers a ton. <clears throat> Excuse me, and. Um, I think that's something you got to be ready for. So yesterday, um, in the in the first move of the ball play or team run or whatever it was, they came out. Uh, the Washington Commanders came out in two tight ends, and so they matched in Cinco, and they had two linebackers, Jamin and Cole, and then they rotated Cam into like a cover three look, which is a very very viable front. That's an eight man front. Your edges are solid. I mean, that's essentially what Seattle ran, just with different personnel. You have Mathis to play the nose. You've got Payne, who's able to play like a four-eye, three-technique. And Allen, who's able to play a four-eye, three-technique. And I think those are all good matchups that you feel good about. And I think Fedarian has shown an ability to keep the linebackers covered up. And so those guys have a little bit more um, fluidity to the football. So, again, I think that's what you're going to see is more of like a 34 structure. So 34 is like three big interior guys, two edge guys, and then two linebackers. And they're just going to use kind of defensive line personnel to accommodate all those positions. So I think that's what you're going to see versus heavier fronts. And then against lighter fronts, if they want to run Cinco, you're going to get, you know, Curl playing the linebacker, two different safeties, and then Holcomb. I think that's what you're going to get. So with, with five defensive linemen. So I think that's kind of their solution to the lack of Buffalo nickel. I don't think you need to carry too many linebackers at this point because of the safeties, because of the defensive line. You want to get your best personnel on the field. And I think that allows you to do that um, at a high level. So I'm not that concerned about linebacker depth. Obviously, you need a fifth guy to emerge on some level from one of those uh, undrafted rookie guys that have kind of been circulating with the threes at the moment. But I'm not overly concerned about their ability to match versus big personnel because They've they've shown they can do it, and they've and you feel comfortable with the with the personnel on the field that does that, right? And this is where the athleticism of Young and Sweat is so huge, and mm-hmm. and we'll talk about Chase a little bit more in, in a few minutes, um, and you know what happens if he's out, um, but for you know six weeks on pup, but you know that's a guy that could play three four end, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. obviously Montez can. He did his rookie year. Now, they were still in three four uh, that last year of, of Gruden, and. 
Montez was out on the edge. And, you know, yeah. do you, everyone always screamed about him or Kerrigan or whoever having a, a drop into the flat and play coverage. And like, it's not where you want him. You'd rather have him rushing the passer, but it's not like he's not athletic enough to do it. Right. You don't want him doing it on, you don't want to major in it, but if you minor in it and, you know, you're talking about a, quote unquote Cinco package, five defensive linemen. Like if you just look at that as three defensive linemen and, and two edge players, um, yeah. the way a lot of modern teams do, like it's not unheard of. And yeah. a lot of teams operate that as their, their main thing. So that athleticism they have is essential, which actually let's just go ahead and get into it. Like what happens if chase young is out for the first six weeks of the season, who, who, who is best suited to play in those different roles and packages? You know, Casey Tuhill has shown some ability in space, James Smith Williams, you know, what does he bring as a pass rusher? Like how do you mix and match those guys and, and who is the favorite coming out of the spring to be the starter opposite of Montez sweat? I think James Smith Williams seems to be the guy who's going to be ready to go. I, I, you know, and I think he's just got a nice physicality to him and a nice play strength that I think you feel very comfortable with on first and second down. I think Casey's a better pass rusher at this moment. I think he's got a little bit more, um, a little more juice, you know, a little bit more creativity, that kind of thing. Uh, but he is a little bit light in the pants, which makes you a little bit concerned on first and second down. Not that he's done a bad job there, but again, I think they, I think just from the film, just in casual conversations, I think they just feel more comfortable with James Smith Williams on first and second down. He's a good athlete. He can play inside. He can play outside. Solid football player. You feel good about. It. I think Casey's a better dropper. I think he gives, like I said, a little more pass rush juice. But it's kind of like you know they both have their strengths and weaknesses. And for a first and second down player, I think you want the guy that's two eighty. You know what I mean? Who can you know strike you and do some stuff there. Um, especially if you're going with like a lighter linebacker structure behind it. So that's what I would think. And I think you feel pretty good about that, quite honestly, because I think when he had to play last year, he did a good job. I think Casey did a fine job last year. And I think they've the crazy thing is they've both gotten better. So now that they, you know, like last year there were questions about are they actual depth pieces? I think that's like un- unequivocally yes at this point. And I think they'd be depth pieces for other, t- other teams around the NFL, which is a good sign for, for this defense. Yeah. And then it just becomes how good can they be with those guys in there, right? You know, yeah. your greatness comes from your your best players. Like, your ceiling raises because they're out there. And it's going to be on Montez Sweat. It's going to be, I mean, frankly, look, it's on Jamin Davis. He's like, he's a first-round yeah. pick. I thought that was such a great point from Kime yeah. on the last podcast. We're talking about the investment in certain areas of the team. And it's like, look, last year their first-round pick was this guy at linebacker. Even if he doesn't wind up being a Mike, if he's a really, really good will linebacker, like that's a that's a guy who can make a massive impact. So they're yeah. they're gonna have to find and like look, the other thing too is Landon Collins was one of these guys. Mm-hmm. For all of Landon's ups and downs, the ups were really high. He created yeah. turnovers. And so my, that would be my biggest question if Chase is out is where do the splash plays come from? Like mm. can Allen generate more? Can Payne generate more strip sack type of things? Can Montez do, you know, what he's done in some some bursts on the edge but more consistently whether it's tip balls that turn into picks whether it's strip sacks um obviously just regular sacks or those those are good we'll take those um you know but william jackson third you're getting paid a lot like obviously can't have you be bad out there but can you get can you create some turnovers so that would be my biggest question going into fall and training camp and ultimately the season for this defense is if you don't have chase young who obviously if he if you do have him he's got to do that stuff too but if you don't have chase where does the playmaking come from because it's hard to be great in this league without that and they need that side of the ball to be great 
Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I think you just look back to last year and you say, like, as that group started to galvanize, even with Chase and Montez kind of in and out of the lineup, they started playing better, you know, because people just were kind of playing within the context of the defense. You know, Warren Sapp was out of practice the past two days, and one of the things he talked about quite a bit was, you know, just playing as a group, you know. And, again, like, I didn't know this, but they have different rush calls, you know, based on the coverage, based on – you know, whether there's linebacker help against the quarterback. And I know that's, that's something I probably should have known more. But again, like understanding the level of nuance and the difference in calls and the expectations and how you fit in the context of that, I think is really important. And I like playing unselfish team football, because I think that's what James Smith-Williams and Casey Duhill did. They, you know, they didn't make a ton of splash plays, but they just played good, sound football. And they were good, good teammates. And it helped the group, you know. And I think that that's something to consider here. It's not necessarily splash plays that win you games. It's good football that wins you games. And I think, you know, Sweat has looked great. Payne has looked great. Allen has looked great. But, you know, like have those have have they matured as a group enough to kind of accommodate team and splash, you know, because you can't do one. You can't do one only. You know what I'm saying? You can't just be splash. You can't just right. be team. You got to make plays. And so I think. Well, um, and that's the thing is they feed each other too, right? Like yeah. if James Smith Williams is solid in his rush on his side and Montez Sweat wins and the quarterback has nowhere to go, then yeah. Sweat can get that strip sack. Right. Whereas last year, there were definitely times earlier in the year where, you know, Chase or Montez won. Yeah. The other guy was in God knows where land. Yeah. And uh, the quarterback can escape and, and get out and. No, no splash play. And in fact, you give up a big play. So um, it is, they, they do work together and the solidity is what is going to help keep the floor underneath you. But I do think to be your absolute best, obviously, as a defensive unit, you, you want to get some of those splash plays. Yeah. You want those game changers. You want to make life easy for your offense with a short field or you know maybe you even score and yeah. make their life really easy uh, and, and take some of the pressure off them uh, to be as precise down in and down out. So um, I, I think that that kind of complementary football is the best path forward for this team where Carson can make the big plays, obviously, but it doesn't feel the pressure to, to make them right. all the time. And, and you know, you kind of keep everything settled. I want to have JP Finley on the pod suit and talk about this. Cause he was talking about it the other day on his show. And I kind of disagree with him that he was like, if I have a hundred dollars to spend, I would just spend it. All, I would not spend like 20 on five guys. I would spend $20 on five different guys mm-hmm. and just go for super solid. And I'm like, I don't know. I watched the Rams. I watched the bills. I watched the Bengals, and they have stars. And I feel like stars win in this league. And not that you can have one guy who's a star and that's good enough. You need solid players around them. But I, I do think the ceiling, if you don't have stars, is pretty low. And you'll you'll hang around and lose a lot of one-score games. And so I, I do think that that need for playmakers is there. And if they don't have Chase, you're going to have to have other guys step up. And then when Chase gets back, like that's, that's why you take him number two overall. And you... He's got to ultimately produce at that level if you want to win. Yeah, and I think you bring up an interesting point there. And I think, you know, I think the Bills are an interesting case study in this, right? Because they don't have like a ton of like name playmakers, right? They've got John John Allen, obviously he's an elite quarterback, probably top five quarterback in the NFL, you know, maybe top three, depending on how you're looking at it. And then they have Stefan Diggs, and they have a whole bunch of very solid role players. So I think it's a good dichotomy of like elite play. And then solid play, right? If you look at their defense, they've done a really nice job of drafting good defensive players, keeping guys around that they like. They've done a good job of cultivating a solid secondary, right? But there's not like, nobody goes like, oh, like who plays middle linebacker for the Bills, right? It's just, it's Edmonds, right? But 
it's not like this household name that's yeah. making all these plays. Same thing with uh, the Bengals, quite frankly, right? They've done a good job of drafting good players outside that have developed. They have an excellent quarterback, and their defense is kind of a bunch of no-name guys. No offense, right? And then L.A. is the exception to that rule, where they've kind of gone like, we want these five amazing players, and the rest of the roster is somewhat depleted. And I think that's like an interesting dichotomy. And I, th- I don't think that Washington is too far off of that, right? They've drafted Jahan, who's showing tremendous upside. If they re-sign Terry, excellent. Curtis Samuels, that's three playmakers. None of those guys are, you know, maybe the best receiver in the NFL, but together that aggregate group could be very, very good, right? Defensively, same thing. You look at the defensive line, right? Solid group, high upside. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that's how you build a team, and you got to count on some of those guys to develop. And I think that's something that I came out of conversation with John Kime in the last podcast, just emphatically being like, yes, you have to count on certain guys to develop. Jamin, Forrest, Percy Butler, right? Benjamin St. Juice at the nickel. And you're gambling on that, but you're trusting that you have the right coaches in place to make that happen, right? So as much as you want to think stars, right? You have stars here. They got to develop too, but the, the rest mm-hmm. of that skeleton also needs to come to life for you. And, and, and I think that's the big thing. Yeah. He, you know, John Allen just got paid a lot of money, which he deserves, but like if he can develop into an all pro, like that's a game changer. Yeah. Um, that it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be Aaron Donald, but if you're an all pro, like you're not that far off, like you're yeah. at a level that obviously is going to, going to change games and, uh, really matter. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Take Command podcast here from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That's Logan Paulson. Uh, you can follow Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82. Follow me on Instagram at Craig underscore Hoffman. I'm on Twitter too, at Craig Hoffman, which is where you submit your questions for Mailbag Monday, which we'll do on Monday. Uh, here to wrap up this Thursday pod, we leave the spring into this summer, hopefully dead period where there's not a lot of news. Uh, and then we show back up July 26th. What are the biggest questions for this team going into July 26th? I think the biggest one is pretty obvious. What happens with Terry McLaren? Mm. We heard Ron talk about him this week. Uh, I mean, I feel a little bad because I just find Ron at the podium very disingenuous. But I also say that with, while acknowledging he's saying exactly what he's supposed to say. Like, what's he supposed to do? Be like, yeah, this negotiation's not going great. Um like, no, he's supposed to get up there and be like, we're confident. We really value Terry. We also have to make sure that we can build this football team the way we like he said all the right things. Yeah. It's just like, I'm like, you're checking boxes, bro. I get it. Do your thing. I'm not going to be mad about right. it. Um, but I, I, I'm curious where now that we've seen Terry definitely not show up, like just like we thought on Monday uh, and that you've heard 
at least the the team side of it via Ron at the podium talking about it. Any change in your confidence level and, and how important is it to get this deal done before everybody shows up in July? I'm not confident. I'm not confident that this is going to get done. I, I think that the price, when you look at the market right now for receivers, it's ridiculous and it feels ridiculous and it's very hard to kind of get past that ridiculous price tag. And the fact that Terry's not here tells me that he's not happy with where the numbers are at at the moment, right? So I think that that's something that, um, again, like, can, yes, it should get done. I want it to get done. I think it will get done, but I'm not as confident as I was even on Monday. You know what I mean? Like, it just, like, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, this is a big lift for this, for, for this community here, right? Because if I'm, if I'm Terry's agent, I'm saying, like, Terry hasn't missed a game. He plays hurt. His production's been on par with A.J. Brown. And... AJ Brown got $25 million a year. And that is like what used to be quarterback money. And I think older GMs are going to have a hard time kind of disassociating themselves, like saying now receive this, the receiver market is this. So again, like I want it to get done. I think it, I'm relatively confident it will get done, but the longer this goes on, the farther I think they are apart. And, um, you know, who would have ever thought that the Titans would train, would trade AJ Brown. And I'm not, and I think, Terry means more to the community here, but I, I think that that's still like a possibility, even though Ron, like that was the thing. Remember Mike Vrabel said they were never going to trade AJ Brown, like over his dead body. Right. Of, and, what's he going to, what's Ron supposed to do? Be like, yeah. ah, it's a possibility. No, like you can't say that. Of yeah. course he's got to say that they're not going to trade Terry. Yeah. Yeah. And so then when Mike Vrabel was pissed when they traded him, but that's not always Ron's decision. You know, that's the GM's decision. Well, the the difference here though is that yes. Ron is the president, right? Yeah, so, so Ron does final have final say. say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 but yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. Martin Mayhew can field field offers and then go to Ron and be like, "Look, I think we should do this," and yeah. you know, see what see what happens. Uh, the the thing that I, it was funny as we were talking through this yesterday on nine eighty, I was in for Reese yesterday, and you just kind of realize like what a kick in the nuts it's been to be a Commanders fan, regards to free agency. Like the players out, players in are backwards. Right? Yeah. You've seen good players, good to great players leave. Like obviously Trent is in a whole different category, right? right? But you've watched them screw that up and he's gone. You watched, you know, Kirk is a little more divisive because yeah. of the money and how that all played out. But like there were chances earlier on in those negotiations right. before it got really bad to, to have quarterback stability. They watch him leave. Um, they, I mean, even a guy like Jamison Crowder, like Jamison Crowder is a good football player and you drafted him and he leaves. Preston Smith's a really good football player. They knew it. They took a second round draft pick on Preston Smith. And then by the time that that second round pick develops into exactly who you want him to be, peace out. See ya. Like he's off to green Bay and they're just like, yeah, well we couldn't afford him. And it's like, well, why you, you should have planned better. Um, because you drafted him in the second round thinking he'd be awesome. That's what a second round pick is. It's an awesome player who's going to take some time. And that's exactly what Preston Smith was. And so you watch that. And then the money they do spend is Landon Collins, who was better than people want to admit, but not worth the contract they paid him. Um, and some of the other guys they've brought in who also haven't worked out uh, on big money deals. So it's just, I think it's really frustrating because it feels like here's another homegrown guy. Here's another drafted guy who is mo It feels like you're on the same exact path where he's going to leave. We don't know ultimately that he will. They very well could get this done. It takes one offer to be the right one and, and everything gets signed and, and everyone's happy. But at the end of the day, like this feels very familiar and familiar ends badly with how these particular situations have gone here. Yeah, I also think it's important for fans to know that like right now, like if I'm a player, I got, <clears throat> I don't really want to play here. You know what I mean? Like that's what it comes down to. So like Trent, 
um, Kirk, you know, they, they had some divisive interactions with team leadership and they were like, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't think Terry has that, but again, like there are other opportunities. If you think Terry is a, a number one receiver, like a lot of people do, <clears throat> there's other opportunities for him to be much more successful, which is a point you brought up a million times here, right? You know, the Preston Smith thing is interesting. Cause like, I think that was more of a character related thing. Like they didn't want to give, they were worried what he'd be after you gave him the money. I think that's a legitimate concern, you know, but again, Trent, Kirk, again, there was questions about Kirk also. So when you really delve into them, it's not as like clear cut as like, oh, this guy was good. I think people look at these decisions with like hindsight. You know what I mean? Oh, like Mm -hmm. we should have re-signed him. It's like, yeah, you think that now, but like at the time he was asking for like, I think it was like Brock Osweiler money. He had a, he had a market setting deal, Kirk Cousins. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I understand why the team's not willing to pay that. And look what's happened to Minnesota since he's been there, right? That's not a knock on Kirk Cousins. That's a knock on contract structure. And that's a knock on what happens when you pay people a ton of money. Like, is Terry McLaurin worth worth extending Montez and Duran? And that's the question you're at right now. And I'm not sure the answer is yes, to be quite honest. Because are those pieces building blocks moving forward? I think so. Yeah, I mean it's tough. I mean there is a penalty almost for doing really well in the draft on some some of these times yeah. where you're like, oh, we keep everything. This is why I mean the NBA's got a whole different set of issues, but that's one area where it's like, well, at least they they have a system where you can keep your guys. Yeah, um, that's not necessarily how the NFL is set up. All right, real quick, last thing, uh, and then we got to run because we're out of time here on a podcast. Uh, but the fourth corner has become like the hot topic. So let's let's hit it real quick. Everyone's scared that they're not going to have a fourth corner and fourth corners play both because of injury where all of a sudden that's a starter in, in that nickel that we talked about earlier. And there's a lot of four wide receiver sets and you play a fair amount of dime. Uh, they, this team might wind up playing more dime than it does base this year. Sure. So who is to you going into the fall, the favorite coming out of the spring? Who is the, the guy that is best suited to play that position? You know, it's interesting. I think the guy that's been probably most impressive is Christian Holmes, the guy they drafted in the seventh round, like totally unexpected. He's just as like, he's got good size, he's got excellent technique, and he just seems to get it. He seems to be, like when you watch him, like it took me a minute to figure out who he was because I'm like, oh, that's a veteran in the system. And, you know, he started off with the fours, he worked to the threes, he's working with the twos now. Uh, he's just shown a nice progression. If you can assume he will continue to progress, I think you feel pretty solid about him being the guy, right? And again, like, I like what he's shown. He's shown a nice maturity. He shows a nice understanding. He shows a nice competitiveness. He's had a couple picks during this period. Again, like, think about the fourth corner last year. It was like Torrey McTire, right? Or whoever it was. Mm-hmm. Like, those guys can come out of the woodwork late. It's a corner's an interesting position from that standpoint because it's so scheme dependent. And I think this guy might be that solution. So again, we still have to see when the pads come on all those different variables, but that's a guy that I think gives you some hope that there's a guy on the roster already that you don't have to go out and, you know, make a free agent move. Yeah. Four is kind of that weird pivot position where like the defensive skills still matter probably a little more than the team skills, right? right? Like Danny Johnson is a fifth corner. Troy Apke is a fifth corner. Like you never want those guys to really be out there playing corner, but you'd want them on your team for special teams. Your fourth guy is a guy that needs to be able to play defensive football and uh and it's good to hear that a rookie is already having that kind of impact and we'll see how he develops as we get into training camp all right if you like the show again subscribe on wherever you're listening right now your favorite podcast platform and we will be fresh in your feeds every monday and thursday continuing on the same exact schedule all the way up until training camp if you want more from logan at logan underscore paulson 82 for me at craig underscore hoffman on instagram i'm on twitter as well at 
Craig Hoffman. With that, we will see you on Monday with either Sam Fortier or Michael Phillips, TBD. Uh, but one of those guys will be on the show Monday. The other will probably be on Thursday. So, uh, again, the subscribe thing. If you want those podcasts, do that. And we'll see you next week on Take Command.